0: Acts chapter two, where we pick up where we left off at the end of chapter one, going through the book of Acts verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We've reached a most delightful portion of scripture. It's um, really many Christians' favorite uh, passage in the Bible because it talks about uh, the birth of Christianity, the birth of the church, and so we're gonna take a look at that this morning. Now, Heavenly Father, We pray that the same Holy Spirit who fell on Pentecost would open the eyes of our understanding and fall upon us as well. We hear from the Word of God and uh, hear the truth and put that truth into practice and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the number one fear that people have, according to most polls, is not death. It's actually public speaking. (laughs) Now, how many of you by the show of hands would say, yeah, public speaking is definitely something I try to avoid? Raise your hands. All right. I feel your pain. (laughs) Let me read from an interesting article I came across on this subject. According to the book of lists, the fear of public speaking ranks Number one, in the minds of the majority of Americans, far above the fear of death and disease comes the fear of standing in front of a crowd. Now, funny thing is, um, yesterday at the men's breakfast, uh, I was sitting across from a young man, and I said, hey, uh, young man, who shall remain nameless, and his first name starts with J. <laughs> not, it's not the J that you know. And uh, I said, why don't you prepare a testimony for next men's breakfast? And the look on his face (laughs) said it all. It was delightful. (laughs) So I looked at him and said, I take that's a yes. (laughs) Yeah, so he's praying about it. Anyway, (laughs) let me continue the article. The biggest fear this article says is public speaking, with 15% of Americans calling it an actual phobia. Now, people have had to turn jobs down, and certainly students have had to drop classes because of their fear of speaking. Uh, I taught speech for about seven or eight years, and in that class, on the very first day, Oftentimes, people would come to me, students would come to me and say, Mr. Ryman, you know what? Just give me an F right now because I'm not going up there. There's nothing you can say or do. I don't really technically need this class. I mean, I need to take it, but I can afford the F. So just just know I'm taking the F. I'm not going up there. Uh, Let me finish the article. Regardless of uh, your occupation, success... um, oftentimes depends on a great deal upon your ability to communicate effectively. Now, think as Christians here. uh, Whether you're running a meeting, selling a product, making a presentation, motivating coworkers, or just communicating one-on-one with somebody about something of importance, you'll get far better results if you can speak persuasively, smoothly, and intelligently. Well, we agree with that. Now, how did the disciples feel, I wonder, who were ordinary people like you and like me with common fears and insecurities? I'm sure that they also had a fear quite similar to ours. How did they feel when they found out that uh, the priority of the Christian life and mission involved various forms of public speaking? That's what Jesus has been telling them. For 40 days, really, he's been saying, you are my speakers. You are my witnesses. You are my truth-tellers. You are the ones that tell the story. You are the ones that bear the message. You will go into all the world and teach. You will go into all the world and proclaim. You will share the story. You will exhort. You will warn. You will comfort everything that comes from our lips. And so while the number one fear may be public speaking, interestingly, the number one priority of the Christian life is to share the gospel publicly, one-on-one, in small little groups, wherever the Lord opens up the door. Well, I can see Peter hearing uh, that he is going to be a public speaker uh, and I can hear the, Peter tell the Lord, uh, Lord, just give me the F right now. Because uh, you know what? I tried that, remember, 50 days ago. And it wasn't in front of a big bunch of people. It was a bunch of few people in front of a fire. And all they asked for my presentation, I didn't have to preach a sermon. They're just people warming their hands and say, hey, aren't you? You're one of them. You, you related to this Jesus character? Tell me about it. It didn't work. You know how it went. Strike one, strike two, cock a doodle do, and it was all over. <laughs> so imagine the dismay. He's just thinking, wow, phew, I don't ever have to do that again. And then the Lord says, Peter, this is what I want. I want you to be a public speaker, I want you to stand up. Everywhere you go, I just want you to speak the words. Wherever I lead you, I'll fill your mouth, and you're going to be my storyteller. Oh, (laughs) not so good news. Now, if Peter felt that way, come on. The rest in the room, the 120 friends that we have all met from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all those precious people, we don't know which exactly. Some of them are named, but that's who's sitting there. Now if Peter feels that way, he walked on water, he saw the miracles, he's the gutsy guy. If Peter's like when he stands in front of a little junior high girl and he, and he can't answer that, how much more Mary and Martha and Lazarus saying, where are your public speakers? Oh no. <laughs> and so the Lord knows their hearts and he says, I just want you to sit and wait and, and, and let that marinate on you. And it's such a good thing to have to sit and wait to have been told you are going to tell the entire world starting at home and in ever increasing implements, you'll take my gospel by your lips to everyone. What a wonderful idea to have them wait now. Now just wait until the helper comes. The Spirit's gonna come and help you, but I want you to wait with this big enormous challenge sitting on your shoulders of your soul that you understand there's no way I could ever do anything like that. Look at my past record. Am I gonna stand up to the Sanhedrin? I'm gonna stand up and talk about my faith. I couldn't even do it when it when everything was on the line and Jesus, I could see Jesus in the courtyard being beat. And I couldn't even do it. He says, wait. Realize how empty. Realize how desperate. And let that just grow inside of you. So that's where we left off. 120 meeting every day, worshiping in the temples, and also in that upper room that seems to be very close to temple courts, because they spill out in this segment of the scriptures into the courtyards of the great temple. So that was the last word, uh, wait. Now, it is day 10 since Jesus left them with those words to wait, day number 10, and by coincidence, a national holiday. (laughs) Uh, Let's read one through 13. When the day of Pentecost, that national holiday, arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were uh, seated. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling, there in Jerusalem, Jews, devout, believing Yahweh kind of people, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. Saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They're just filled with new wine. Well, there's always mockers, aren't there? There's always haters. You'll never be without them. Uh, But by and large, what a beautiful, delightful passage. And of course, it's no coincidence that the birthday of the church falls on a Jewish national holiday because the holidays were prophetic. They were given to us to teach us of something of eternal significance that would come to pass. And so, as we'll see about that in a bit. Now, the birthday of the church, how it happens, uh, is pretty important. Four things in this passage I'd like to talk about because they have great significance. So if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about, one, fiery tongues. Number two, that rushing wind. Number three, the Jewish holiday, Pentecost. And number four, praising God in foreign languages which were unknown previously to those speaking it. I love this passage. Okay, let's talk about flames in the shape of tongues. Well, nobody's going to leave this upper room with any misunderstanding or leave this chapter about what the Christian life and mission is all about. It's only everything Jesus has just been telling them It's all about the message, it's all about the story, it's all about the witness. Over and over again, you shall be my witnesses. And then, what does he highlight? The first thing they see, they hear something first, and we'll talk about that. But the first thing that they see that connects the whole beautiful picture of the gospel is fire in the shape of a tongue. All right, so nobody get confused here. I've been telling you the whole point is the message, the message, the message, the message, because the message saves. God's desire and love is for the world that they might all know the truth and be set free. Jesus paid for salvation on the cross, but the way God saves people is through the tongue of man and no other way. And I took a poll last time, a survey I asked you, how many in here have heard the gospel through a human being? Raise your hand. No, because there's only one way you're ever going to hear the message, and the message is what saves. He comes out, right out and says it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, It pleased God to save people through the message that was preached, a message that the world thinks is nonsense, but a saving message None. The less. That thing's alive. Not just words. Your testimony is alive. It's mingled with the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. What does it say about the word of God? It is living. That word in the Greek is the same word to describe the living God. Or the living water. Or if any man believe in me. Even though he die yet shall he live. Zoah. Same word in the Greek. The word of God is alive. There's something miraculous about it. We forget about it. It's not just an ordinary story like you read Huck Finn or or Mark Twain. This comes to life. There's something encoded by by the living God in the very message. Jesus said it's kind of like sowing seed. The word is like a seed that ends up in a fertile heart of belief, when a person believes and that seed goes in, the word that you said will bring life, eternal life. They'll go to heaven because something came out of your mouth in the form of a word that happened to be from heaven, fiery, tongue-spoken word, and it goes into someone's heart and germinates. And now they live forever. That's an important thing. No wonder there are f- flames shaped as tongues over the head of every single now born again Christian in that room. That's just an amazing thing. You know, I told you about the time I was at Food for Less and I ran into a guy and I don't know how it happened, but we started talking about Jesus. Oh <laughs> so odd that that happened. And, and, and so, in the course of the conversation, I used a, a, a verse of scripture that says, if God be for us, who can be against us? His name's Mike. And Mike says, well, what did you just say? I said, if, if God is for us, who could be against us? His countenance lights up. And he says, well, where'd you get that? And I said, what do you mean, where did I get it? I, it's, from, it's a verse in the Bible. He goes, oh, man, I'm that's the kind of thing you, you know, you say at Thanksgiving, or I, I'm going to go home and I'm not kidding you. I'm going to go home and I, I'm going to tell my girlfriend. Now say it again. And I said it. Wow. If God is for us, who could be against us? And I just see his whole his mind going. <laughs> one sentence, one verse. I told him, Mike, you're excited. He goes, Yeah, wow. I go, I know where I can get a book. Filled of those kinds of things, were you? <laughs> so I directed him. I was very happy. The word we don't even know. Jesus I want you to be my storytellers. And boom, and the Holy Spirit, he's going to come. And here's how you're going to recognize the fire will be in the shape of a tongue, what I've been telling you about. It won't be your words, your prompting, your... your uh, Oh, what's the word? Holy Spirit, help me. (laughs) It won't be your own efforts. It'll be the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you one more story? Good, because I'm gonna. (laughs) All right. So I was going in the 7-Eleven, and it was my routine. And this kid at the register kind of, we had a warm little connection, and so I wrote a little scripture reference on the receipt tape. And I said, look it up. It's good. Well, he didn't even know where to look it up. Well, get a Bible. So I got him a Bible. So every day I left him a scripture. And, and he was into it. He looked forward to it. And he says, where's my scripture? And I'm, I'm writing it. I'm writing it. And so he, he'd look it up. And he goes, man, that was just like, like you read my mind. I mean, it's the very thing that I needed to hear. And I'm going, Holy Spirit, it's alive. And so he ended up coming to church with me and giving his heart to the Lord. His name is Mark, and I'll introduce you to Mark when we all get there. A seed, a word, a message. It's alive. It's sharp as a scalpel. It goes into where the soul and the spirit are. And that's why uh, you will not leave the chapter or the room without putting the connection. This is all about the tongue. This is a message. This is a Christianity that saves. It's like fire that spreads. It's like fire that lights the way. It's like fire that purges and purifies. It's fire from heaven that touches and fills our hearts and overflows with the word of God and the word of our testimony. You know, I love, I love this part. And the flames rested on each one of them. Not just Peter, James, and John. Oh, it's your, your job. You're the public speakers, man. The vocational clergy, it's your job. You're the ministers. You're the leader. You're the men. Get up there and do the thing. Oh, no, no, no. This is not something you're going to be able to say. This isn't my calling. Because all 120 get the flame of the tongue over their heads, whether they're shy or introverted or not. It will not manifest the way it manifests through a vocational called preacher. It'll manifest in a different way, but you will speak. You will tell, because it's the general call. That's why all 120 get it. Everyone gets the flame shaped in a tongue as almost a joke to say, it's all about the tongue. Fire, a message sweeps through, could devour a city in a matter of minutes. 30 years without a printing press, the internet, computers, or public transportation. 30 years, Acts chapter one to Acts 28, the entire Roman Empire evangelized. Fire, that's what it is. Last little quote and we'll move on. The tongue may burn, but it's fueled from the heart that is overflowing with the Holy Spirit. It's in the heart and mind inside where the fire does its most important work. Purging and purifying from sin and selfishness create passion for the things of God and burning up all that is not pleasing to the Father. So yes, it's a flame, a fire, within the tongue, and it's set aglow, but it's set aglow because the heart is filled to overflowing. So, now before they saw the fire, they heard something first, and so they heard what your word says there, suddenly a mighty rushing wind out of nowhere, suddenly is the word I really like. A gale force winds surround them. Well, you know, they've been waiting for 10 days, Again, getting a little antsy. You know, uh, they know the Lord has given them a heads up. This person is coming to help you. He's bringing the dynamite. That word dunamis means power, but it means power to break the resistance. The idea of dunamis in the Greek is, is that something's holding you back, and you're given the power to push that away. And in this case, it would be the whatever the the cat gets our tongue about the reason that we can't have a flame of fire. But he says you will be getting the power over that when the spirit comes to you. So they're a little perplexed. We know it's a him. It's a person. He will guide. He will remind you. He will teach. He will convict the world. I will send him, not it. Jesus knew how to use grammar. He does not call the Holy Spirit "Ed." He calls him a person, the Holy Ruach in Hebrew, the Holy Wind or the Holy Breath. So here's their problem: we're waiting on this man, this person, this being, who's invisible. He's the Holy Spirit. You can't see him. So how are we going to know when he comes? You know. So they're sitting around at the day of one, at the end of day one. Did you get anything? Is he here? Do we wait again? Day two, day three, day four, day five. Hey, you know, Pentecost is coming. That's like saying Thanksgiving's happening. We're gonna have to all be doing stuff. Day seven, day eight, day nine, the day before Thanksgiving. What do we do, we're all, everybody else is gathering, all the Jews from all over the world gathering outside of their window, and the only little select 120 Jews are these pre-Christians sitting alone, saying, uh, oh, Peter, looking to John. John, you got anything? <laughs> you know, how are we gonna know, where is he? How do we know, we're just, just, just like, uh. And they're waiting. And here's how I picture it. I got a little sound for you. Just it's, it's quiet, it's prayerful. They're wondering, do we miss something? Go outside and witness to somebody. See if something happens, man. You know? And he steps outside. He's like, Oh, I'm afraid. Yeah, nothing happened. All right. So they go back in, I don't know. Let's just sit and pray. Now, Pentecost had fully come. King James, good word. It was in full tilt. They're outside. They smell the grain. They're hearing the singing. We should be out there, right? Did we miss something? So they're sitting there. Oh, Lord, send the holy wind, Ruach. Send him. Show us. The first to speak, Peter, he says, he's here. (laughs) (laughs) They're praying for the wind. That's the same word. Where's the wind? Where's the holy wind? Where's the holy breath? Where is he who is this invisible spirit who Jesus described as the wind blowing here and there and entering our hearts? Ah, we get it. He's here. And I would say they're startled, you know, because it says suddenly. And they're all sitting around looking at each other and all looking at Peter, like, do something. You always do something. Even if it's wrong, you always (laughs) step up and do and say something, you know? And here they are. Wind and fire equal kaboom. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, how do you know? How did they know? I'll tell you how they knew Ezekiel 37, the spirit of the Lord. The Lord asks Ezekiel, he shows him a bunch of dead bones in a valley. He says, hey, Ezekiel, can these bones ever live? And Ezekiel gives the right answer when the Lord asks you a question. You, Lord, know the answer to that. (laughs) That was smart. And then... the. The Lord has him prophesy, call out to the wind, the holy wind, and the Holy Spirit puts flesh on those dead bones and raises up an army, and then he says, speak to them and have the wind of God come into them. You know how you know if the Holy Spirit has come into your life, you're alive, you're alive, not in mere existence. You know why you're here. You know there's a God in heaven. You know the truth. You know there's a hell to avoid. You know right and wrong. You sense the love of the Father, and you hate sin because God hates sin. And now the very things you used to say so easily in your profane ways, suddenly they don't they get stuck here. Now, and suddenly the things you used to love, you hate, and the things you used to hate, you love because the holy breath of God came into you and made you alive, the spirit of the living God. Now, that announcement and that holy wind comes on the day of Pentecost, which brings us to point number three. The Holy Day of Pentecost, which had been in existence for about 1400 years. So they've had a lot of practice at this. And so here's what happens on the day of Pentecost, the Old Testament gives way to the New Testament, the Old Covenant fades away, and the New Covenant is established. The The old arrangement and the new arrangement. Now, here's what the the Bible says about that, even back in the Hebrew scriptures, Jeremiah 31. About the first covenant, the law that came through Moses, here's what the Lord says. A time is coming when I'll make a new covenant with my people, not like the first one, which they couldn't keep even though I was a husband to them, they broke it. And here's the quote, I will put my law in their minds, and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Ezekiel gets another word, chapter 36, about this new testament, this new covenant, this new contract, this new arrangement that God is going to make with human beings. It won't be like the law that comes down. Ezekiel says, and the Lord speaking first person through him, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will remember your sins no more. I will take out your heart of stone. I will make you alive with a heart of flesh because the spirit will come in. So, so check this out. He's saying, he's saying on the very day that they're commemorating when the law came, the old covenant, on the very day, he says, here's the new covenant As you're thinking about the old covenant, here comes the day of Pentecost. Now the new covenant has been born. So the feast of Pentecost, really, as I've been saying, is that the Jews from all over the Roman Empire would come. There were three important feasts, and and Pentecost was one of them. That they were supposed to come if you were over 20 and a male and a Jew and a believer, you're supposed to come to Jerusalem and participate in the worship uh, ceremonies there. And, and so here's what happened. Uh, it was, Pentecost means 50th. 50th what? I'm glad you asked that, I'm gonna tell you what that is. It's the 50th day after being busted out of Egypt. The 10th plague was Passover. 50 days after that the people were at Mount Sinai receiving the law. Pentecost historically was connected to receiving the law at Mount Sinai. Now now start putting the pieces together why God would pour out his spirit of grace and life and give the holy spirit to go into our hearts with the new covenant on the day that they're commemorating the old covenant. That's genius. The old covenant was not a happy thing, people. It was a dreadful thing. And and then so they started to, to bring in the celebration of harvest time to kind of, I think, to balance the solemnity of the original meaning. And so they brought in the grains, harvest, and all of that, but that's not what it was about. It was about remembering an awful occasion when Moses came down from an angry god Fired up the mountain of flame. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us about it. He said, back in the day when the law was given on Pentecost. Fiery judgment against unholiness, darkness and gloom and storm. And then he said, a trumpet sounded from the heavens. And the people who heard it were like dead men they said make him stop or we'll all be dead they cried out to moses in fear they put up a barrier so that even if an animal went too close to that mountain it'd be struck dead stoned with stones they'd execute the animal let alone one of the people came they'd be executed this is not a happy occasion and what why was that about the lord was saying you want to come close to me here are my rules You should stop lying, being sexually immoral, start wanting stuff that doesn't belong to you, stealing, blaspheming my name, disregarding me and my ways. Oh, oh wait, should I stop there because you've broken them all already? So he says, here's how to come close to me. There's a problem. So on the first Pentecost, he's saying, there's a problem between me and you. It's called your sin. And so temporarily we'll bring in the bulls and the goats who will take your place. You will put your hand on their innocent head and you will confess your nasty sins upon the head of that innocent beast. And in the presence of everybody, the priest will take a knife and slit its throat instead of yours. And that blood will temporarily put you in right stead with the living God because he is holy and you are not. The first Pentecost, not a happy occasion, but a necessary occasion because we wouldn't have the joy or the knowledge of what God has done for us unless we realize there's a big honking problem. It's just not gonna wink and let everybody come into heaven. There's, you owe a debt. You have a debt and it needs to be paid. Now don't miss this. This is the best part, all right? By pouring out his spirit on Pentecost, the Lord is preaching a fat sermon. Listen to this. Here's the fun part. 50 days between the first Passover and the giving of the law. You follow me? You say amen, just so I know. Could you say it like you have the Holy Ghost? Okay, stop there. (laughs) 50 days between first Passover and the giving of the law. Now follow me. There's 50 days now from the cross, which is the fulfillment of Passover, 50 days after Jesus rises from the dead, guess what day it is? They're celebrating Pentecost, and now guess what? While they're celebrating that terrible, dreadful thing of the law coming down, God, because of Passover, sins have been paid for permanently, not by some little lamb, bull, or goat, but by the God-man himself in a human body hanging on a cross, 50 days after that, we're not talking law that condemns and brings fear and isolation. We're talking about the spirit of life and grace and reconciliation and forgiveness. And so God chooses to pour out his spirit on the very day that they're thinking about that awful day when we all died. Because when the law came, We died. When he says, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, or you will be dead, we died. And instead of the ministry now that led to death because the letter kills, on that day, he pours out the spirit and says, hey, everything's okay now because of what I did for you 50 days ago. Now my spirit can not only come down and be alongside you, he can take up residence within your heart. And now the righteous requirements of the law have been met through Jesus Christ. I have been joined to Jesus Christ. Therefore, I in Christ have met the qualifications of the law. And now it has no hold on me because I'm mixed up and entangled and enmeshed and become one with the one who was born under the law. In the fullness of time, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, in the fullness of God's time, God sent his son, born of a woman under the law. He's the only one who kept the 10 Commandments perfectly. So in him, I've kept them all because I'm with him. I stand with him. And he paid for all of my sins. And so what a glorious day. On that wonderful day, he says, now, instead of death, there's life. Instead of law, there is grace. So welcome home. And the acorn of Judaism now has grown into the oak of Christianity. Remember when, in Matthew 9, the, the Jewish leaders were asking Jesus uh, why the, his disciples do everything differently? You guys don't do Judaism the way we do it. And he says, listen, I'm doing a new thing that doesn't fit into the old form. He says, you don't sew an unshrunk piece of fabric on your garment unless you want to ruin the whole thing. And then there's another one about wineskins. We don't do wineskins, so let me change it up and make it contemporary. He says, you can't pour rocket fuel into an old Volkswagen. It doesn't work. He says, you put rocket fuel in the space shuttle, and then you're a happy camper. You can watch it soar and lift off into the sky. He says, I've come to bring rocket fuel. You guys are in a Volkswagen. Come on. Get on board the space shuttle. That's what really he's saying, in my humble opinion, (laughs) or paraphrase. Now, here's where he says, I'm doing a new thing. Judaism is giving way, and here's what he does. He pours out the Spirit and gives the birth of the church on a Sunday. If you do the math, Leviticus chapter 23, you will find that the day of Pentecost falls on a Sunday and must always fall on a Sunday. So now Judaism is leaving Saturday with all the Jews who are next Saturday not going to necessarily be worshiping. They're going to worship on the day of Pentecost on Sunday. The Lord rose from the dead on a Sunday. The church was born on a Sunday because now Judaism gives way to the life of Christianity. The root has grown into the tree, and it has become a brand new day. Now the last point, now we've seen uh, the mighty wind and the tongues of fire, and we understand the significance of God pouring out His spirit on a national holiday called Pentecost. Every Jew gets it, got it, but wait. There's more, okay? There's this crowning touch that I love. It's my favorite part of the story, and I know it's yours as well. Praising God in languages the disciples never known. Now, here's what's going on. As I said, the Jews from all over the world have come to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate Pentecost, right? Fifteen different geographical locations are listed in your text. All around the world. Pentecost was important, as I mentioned. And now, nobody really knows. Was it the sound of the rushing wind, or was it the noisy praises of God in these languages, known languages, uh, that caused the crowd to gather? Somehow, these Christians are now in the courts. And there's a big, fat crowd. And the crowd is thunderstruck. Why? Because these Galileans, and by the way, Those in Galilee, and just do your reading and you'll find this to be true, they were notorious and had this reputation for being the hillbillies of Israel. They were called hicks, Uh, they, they, they were known for their incredible poor grammar and their terrible speaking ability. That's why God chose them. That's exactly why God chose them, because he could show off through them, light their tongues on fire, fill them with a the knowledge of a language they'd never learned and then speak the wonderful works of Christ to a crowd in a, to amaze them like that. That's just an amazing thing. They were perplexed. We hear them talking about the wonderful works of God. Well, you know what they were saying, the wonderful work of God, how God reconciled all of them to himself through the death of Christ 50 days ago. So they're all giving gospel messages in languages that they never knew. And they hear it. It just is an amazing thing. I've got a, a map for you here. People came from all of these places and they spoke those languages. So back in the 8th century and the 6th century, foreign powers came in and exiled the Jews. They came in and took them away. And some of them never went back. And some of them, from the places they went, moved on. But here's a selection, and your Bible says that they came from nations, all nations under heaven. So quite a big distance. So here we go. we start with Rome, and then work with me counter, uh, I mean clockwise, I should say, clockwise from Rome. So there's Italy there. There's Asia Pontus, which is Turkey. Now, if you follow Mesopotamia, you've got Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and Jordan. If uh, Parthenian, there is Kazakhstan, and Armenia, and Azerbaijan. And Elam, there is uh, southwest Iran, and Kurdistan, Arabia, Saudi Arabia, of course, and uh, Yemen, and... Kuwait, there's more. (laughs) I told you. I told you I wasn't going to do it, but he said, do it. It's funny. I'm blaming you. (laughs) Africa, Egypt, and Cyrene. Do you remember our friend who helped Jesus, our Savior, carry his cross? What a good day that was for him. He's a famous man. Simon of Cyrene from Africa. Maybe, that's talk, maybe he's there. And so what did the Lord do? He brings all these devout. When it says they're devout, it means they're believers in Yahweh. He brings these believers in Yahweh to Jerusalem. He, he fills a bunch of hillbillies with the Holy Spirit who enables them to speak in the languages where they're all from. Some of them generations. Some of them have a hard time with the Greek and the Hebrew. They only speak their Italian or whatever, but some hillbilly walks up to him and saying, "The Lord loves you," and "Je la baise, je je la whatever," (laughs) in perfect French. Okay, picture it this way: the United Nations, some hillbillies from some state in the South, all climb off of a bus and go into the United Nations building, and they say, "We have an important announcement," and all the delegates, 212 of them. Yes, and we all have got our earphones. They say, take your earphones off. We don't need a translator. And then, boom, in perfect Russian, some hillbilly. Perfect Chinese, perfect Italian, perfect Greek. You'd listen to that message. You really would, and that's God's whole point. And so they say, thank you for that. You can turn on the lights. We're going to wrap up now with a beautiful question they say okay we understand what we're hearing but we want to know what it means well we're not confused we hear we understand but we want to know what does this mean a bunch of hillbillies telling us about Jesus in our own language what's the significance of that well I'm glad you asked because there are two answers to that all right number one here's the significance every nation under heaven is represented because it's the, Pentecost is the reversal of the curse of the Tower of Babel, that the Tower of Babel, all the nations gathered for themselves and to make a name for themselves. We're going to build our way up to heaven, and God's never going to get us. Uh, we're going to do our own thing. And so the Lord scattered them, and that's where the language differences came from. He scatters them all over the earth, and now in a reversal of that because Christ died, that anyone who comes to, the go- comes to him through the gospel comes and is gathered from the nations all in one language they understand because in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile. In Christ, the Bible goes as far as to say there's even no male or female. If you're saved, you're saved. It goes beyond social barriers and language barriers. And so what God is doing on the day of Pentecost is reversing the curse of Babel. No one could understand it, Babel. They were scattered to form nations and now all of those nations are coming back and in full understanding. And, and what happened at Babel? Well, pride and rebellion brought judgment. And what happens on Pentecost? Well. Humble surrender to God will bring forgiveness, and that's just just crazy. The the second thing is uh, God wants the whole world to hear, and so the gospel's not a Jewish thing anymore. It's gone out to all the world, and you see that, and how smart is God? He is way off the Richter scale of smart. He's a genius, so he takes what happened in the eighth and sixth centuries He scattered them, the word diaspora means to scatter. So the Jewish diaspora happened eighth century, sixth century, remember, right? And they went all over the world. But God says now, you're my foreign missionaries. So he brings them in, fills them with the Holy Spirit, talks to them in their own mother tongue so they get, this is a God thing, and then they go home to the whole world with the, as born-again Jewish believers, filled with the Holy Spirit, testifying of the wonderful, mighty works of the living God. How? What a plan. This isn't the plan of man. This is the genius, miraculous, supernatural plan of the living God calling them all together, filling them up, and then sending them back out to their homes. And no wonder the entire world was evangelized in 30 years because in Acts chapter 8, there's a, there's a little bit of a persecution that comes up, and they scatter, all of them, all back home. And it says in chapter 8, and everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. This is the leaders. This is everybody, wherever they went, They told the gospel and the whole world was changed. So here we go, the review. A day of Pentecost, God's spirit inside of us, sins forgiven, grace to live, a love of God, a changed heart, a promise forever, a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit on the inside bringing me new life, power, power a different heart, an ability to obey, the ability to want to obey. Tongues of fire, a burning, God-given message of life and death, words of truth, boldness and power, words of testimony, words of purity, words of sobriety, words of wisdom, words of love, and finally, proclaiming God's marvelous deeds in Christ to the whole world. For God our savior wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. First Timothy chapter two, verse four. The next time somebody asks you, hey, you go to church? Yeah, someone told me you're a Christian. Well, what's up with that? And your heart just starts to beat fast and your blood pressure goes up or you're sitting next to somebody and they say something that's so obvious you're supposed to say something and, and you just keep fighting it off, no, you know, it da, 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 can't be you, Lord, it can't be you. Instead of that, I want you to pray a two-word prayer that will change your life. Fill me. All right, let's, let's practice it, all right, ready? Fill me. Now, if you want to make it three words, you could say Lord. And if you want to be polite, you could say, oh, Lord. All right, so let's make it four words. Ready? <laughs> fill me, oh, Lord. Now, let's make it a little nicer. Please fill me, oh, Lord. All right, ready? Please fill me, oh, Lord. Now, you, how many of you have some experience with Pentecostal or Charismatic Christianity? Raise your hand. Thank you. Now I want you to say it like a Pentecostal, (laughs) decently and in order. All right, ready? Please fill me, oh Lord. I heard tongues there, (laughs) but it was just because you were confused. All right, no, no, listen to me. That's the problem. The problem is in here or what you know or what you don't know. It's that you're not filled. If you're filled to overflowing, everybody has the Holy Spirit and not everybody's walking in the fullness. So in that moment, I I promise you, you say in your heart with all your heart, here it is, it's that time. Ah, and you say, Fill me, God. Oh, this is a prayer He really wants to answer, and He will really ri- and He really, really will, we, will. we will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much and we do wanna be filled. The Bible says that we are baptized into the Holy Spirit and we need refillings and to ask you to fill us again and again and again that our hearts would be burning with your fire overflowing, our tongues with a message that can save and heal and set the prisoner free. Well, we thank you so much for your great love